You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. There is a time for the law, and there is a time for the gospel. There's a time for threats, and then there is a time for promises. But today and this morning, from the text that we heard in the gospel lesson today, This is a time of the gospel, and the law is silent. Jesus stands at the center of a great crowd in the temple, a crowd that's been completely shut up. And it's a very strange thing. The authorities who usually do all of the talking have nothing to say. It started with the priests and the elders. They challenged Jesus' authority to speak in the temple. But Jesus left them dumbfounded, and then questioned in turn their authority to speak. Next, the Pharisees thought they could trap Jesus by asking him a question about taxes. Jesus made them marvel, and they withdrew. The Sadducees were next. They finally wanted to squash this idea about the resurrection. But when they came to Jesus, Jesus' teaching left them in astonishment, and they had to leave in defeat. Finally, the Pharisees, after they withdrew, articulated the best question that they had, and they came back at Jesus and threw it in his face. But it didn't matter. No matter what they tried, Jesus prevailed, and in the end, no one was able to answer Jesus a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Once the Inquisition ceased, Only the voice of Jesus resounded and reverberated through the temple. And so the crowd could do nothing else but stand in silence as Jesus taught them. Now, why is it that the authorities fell silent? Well, it's simple, really. All they knew was the law. Its righteousness, its threats, its promises, its rewards for good works. And you know what? If only Jesus could speak and teach as they did, they wouldn't have a problem. Jesus would have been welcomed into their inner circles. But Jesus is not like them. He knows their beloved law better than they. He taught it. He lived it. In fact, he wrote it. Everything that Jesus does never ends with the law, though. He's always driving towards mercy, grace, forgiveness in life. And where these things are promised, the law's voice must be stopped, because the law always stands silent before Jesus. Now let's begin by talking about the one thing that all of these teachers had in common. That is, of course, their expertise in the law. Now, these groups didn't necessarily agree with one another, As we know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't get get along when it came to the resurrection. But at least they both had a sense of right and wrong. They knew from both conscience and reason that God demanded an upright and righteous life. And from the Bible, they found which works God found pleasing. The Bible even promised life if the law of God could be kept. And so they knew the commands, the prescribed rights, the distinctions between clean and unclean things, and by any external measure, 
the authorities' actions themselves were blameless. They were well on their way to keeping the law. And dear friends, we're very much the same way. We have a sense of right and wrong. Now, it may not be as strict as our grandparents' sense of right and wrong, but still, we can tell the difference uh, between a good person and someone who is unloving or or intolerant. We've been born with a sense, also, that God loves good behavior and he rewards it. Now, isn't it as simple as that? Well, you know, I've had too many conversations, I think, uh, with somewhat spiritual people who would come to me and insist, you know, all these doctrines and, and teachings you Lutherans have, in the end, none of it really matters, right? I mean, because what really matters is that you live a good life, that you're a good person. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Isn't that what Jesus was all about? But dear friends, if you take the time to read your Bible, as, as you do, you know that Jesus from Holy Scripture is much more complicated. Of course, he just didn't tell people to be good, because if he did, the authorities wouldn't have had such a problem with him. What troubled the authorities about Jesus was that he somehow embodied the perfection of the law, while at the same time, he showered sinners with mercy and love. Now, how is that possible? How did Jesus simply ignore the law for the sake of sinners? Did he ignore the law? No, that's not right. His love for God, whom he called Father, could not be denied. Jesus prayed continually. He taught the Ten Commandments with painful clarity and authority. Jesus demanded God's own perfection, not just human perfection from his hearers. Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, just imagine being one of Jesus' disciples after hearing his teaching on the law. They were in an uncomfortable position to be to be sure. And in fact, the disciples, after hearing Jesus talk about the law, came up to him and said, Jesus, who, who then can be saved? Yes, indeed. Who can be saved? At least the Pharisees taught the possibility of keeping the law. But now comes the most difficult part, the part that most angered and troubled the experts in the law. It was Jesus healing and having compassion on those who cried out to him for mercy. It's the fact that Jesus ate and drank with sinners, that he freely forgave with God's authority to be both just and merciful. That's impossible. You can't be both. The law demands justice. Sin incurs guilt, and guilt must be punished. Transgressing the law demands the penalty of death. There's no room there for mercy. And if there is mercy, it means that you're not doing right by the law. It seems like it's been set aside. And this is why the experts came to Jesus in the temple to test him. They would not stop until they exposed Jesus for being completely inconsistent. And so one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, Jesus would not, and he could not, evade this question. He had to meet their implicit, 
accusation of unrighteousness head on. And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, not only did Jesus answer the question correctly, he then goes on to sharpen the law, that it cuts through mere outward observance. He teaches the lawyer and the rest of the Pharisees that both tables of the law depend on loving from your heart, loving God and your neighbor. He then explains how both the Torah the writings of Moses, and then the writings of the prophets, uphold and preach this love without exception. And so it seems like the lawyer got more than he bargained for by demanding out not just outward doing of the law, but actually loving God by your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus was putting the fulfillment of law out of reach. Because who can really claim that you've loved God with all your heart without wavering once? Who would dare? Who would dare to to claim that you actually love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, you might treat him like you might treat yourself, but actually love him? And so now the law has turned from something that we maybe could accomplish to damning accusation. Now we know that when Jesus demands perfection from his hearers, he's demanding something that is simply impossible. Now, this would have been enough to keep Jesus' accusers quiet. But then Jesus exposes the heart of their legalistic problem with two simple questions. First, he asked, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, that's simple enough. The Pharisees had read the Bible too, you know. And so they answered Jesus, saying, he's the son of David. Well, that's true. But it's not enough. You see, they had an idea of Christ, God's anointed who had come to reign eternally. But they ignored what the rest of scriptures had said about the Messiah. They ignored it because it simply didn't make sense to them. And to be honest, as long as we insist on having a religion, a Christianity, that merely promises rewards for trying to be good, the Bible remains a closed book to us as well. We've missed the whole point And we've proved that we neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. But here's the wonderful thing. Jesus opens the scriptures, both to the Pharisees then and to us here now, with his next question. How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And to this, the Pharisees had no answer. Here the law stands in silence. And it's here that mercy and love that come from God manifest in a Messiah, who is both David's son and David's Lord, who has both and all the enemies of sin, death, and the devil under his feet, completely shut the mouth of the law. Dear saints, Jesus is teaching himself, his own person, that he is both man as David's son and God as David's Lord. 
And as both God and man, he alone can at the same time embody God's righteousness and mercy. The perfection of the law, the demand for justice, the mercy and love of God all come together in this man, in Christ, who is also true God, who suffers and dies a sinner's death on the cross. You see, as a man, Jesus suffered the guilt of your sin. And as true God, this sacrifice upon the cross was made sufficient for all people, including you. And Jesus tells us, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so in the same person, in one event in history, both the love and justice of God are perfectly fulfilled through the death of Christ. And this work of atonement is yours. Not through a requirement to keep, but through a promise of unconditional grace. And it's by faith in this promise of the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake that you have, made, you have obtained the mercy of God, which has been made possible by the justice of the cross. The law cannot and will not give this to you. Only Christ can. And this is why the law is silent. And this, dear friends, is the gospel. Now, everything that Jesus said about you and I having the righteousness of God is absolutely true. We must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Anything less than this will keep us from the life-giving favor of the Father, and we're left in judgment and in the shadow of death. But I want you to hear something else from the psalm that Jesus quoted to the Pharisees, from Psalm 110. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. What a wonderful promise. You are the people who belong to the Lord, who sits at God's right hand. And you are the ones who wear the garments of Christ's righteousness. And that means that you too also freely give yourselves to the Lord. In your holy baptism, through the preaching of the word, through receiving Jesus' body and blood, the Holy Spirit has taken the righteousness which has belonged to Christ and has given it to you. His obedience, his life, his death and resurrection are yours. And what does that mean? (laughs) You're no longer dead in your trespasses. That's what it means. It means that you have a new spirit within you, a spirit that loves God and loves your neighbor. Once you were only able to make a show of keeping the law with your actions, but now you truly love. And this is what it means to give yourself freely. It means that now, here in this life, you and I both start to fulfill the law as Christ intended. And of course, the law's fulfillment has just begun in us. And our flesh still fights it, this genuine love. And so we still need the law to accuse us, to show us our sins, to drive us back to the promise of Jesus. And we also need the law to teach us to teach us those things that God finds, he finds pleasing for us to do. But the perfection that we have according to, to promise is going to be fulfilled on the day of Christ's return. On that day we will arise free from the stain of sin, and thus the prodding of the law will also be gone. Without any compulsion or threats, we will love perfectly according to God's will. 
the law will be silent. And Christ alone will speak tenderly with words of love and mercy to his bride, the Holy Christian Church. And you, dear friends, are his saints. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.